Gold teeth to gold jacket. Pretty cool saying by the edge as Hall of Fame speech uh, this last weekend as he was immortalized into bronze at the NFL Hall of Fame in beautiful Canton, Ohio. Did you put your grill in while you're watching it? No. Uh, actually, funny story there. I had my grill in. But mine's more icy. It's less gold, more diamonds. And um, top and bottom. And when I was actually getting the sculpture done, I was posing for my bronze bust for my NFL uh, in, induction. I took them out and totally forgot them there. So. <laughs> I hate when that happens. I know. I'm kind of bummed because those were special to me. I watched Peyton's acceptance speech last night. It's very well written, as you would expect it would be. Mm-hmm. Very polished, thanking you know a variety of folks. It was it was good. He had a nice little uh, ribbing of Brady there. Uh, which I didn't see that, but I read about what did he say on the Brady part or just yeah. in general? No, on the Tommy Um Something to the effect of how they only had like six minutes to speak, and he blamed first he blamed um, uh, Ray Lewis, old Ravens linebacker, for botching that. Yeah, well, he had like an hour and a half, speech something or like something. that. Yeah, and so he said, "Well, you know, don't worry, Tom. In the year you know twenty thirty five, when you're your first ballot Hall of Famer, you'll have all you'll be able to do is something like you know." tweeted out on on Twitter or sent out an Instagram post, and that's pretty much all he'll be relegated to. Gotcha. He did get a rouse of booze in the crowd, which was kind of funny. It was. Yeah. It was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was good. I mean, I saw some pictures. uh, Looked like I had a pretty pretty nice party that night. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's Peyton, you know, in his his new Hall of Fame jacket like this and just sweating through the undershirt. It's like, oh, must be hot, but whatever. It's a good time, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I must have lost my invite in the mail, but whatever. Well, uh, my my aim, I'm going in 2024. I'm a year off because of COVID, so mm-hmm. we pushed everyone back. So I'll I'll make sure you're there. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone thinks I'm joking. I've actually been second ballot. I was close call on the first. No. <laughs> All right. too, many, too, many, too many options to... Carry that one on. No, the reality is I wasn't there because I was in Nashville uh, driving in the IndyCar race. It was going well until I got wrecked out 23,000 times over. Uh, I didn't really watch a lot of the race, but two hours after it started, I walked by a TV where it was on, and they're on like lap 25 out of 80. I was like, oh, my gosh, why is this? Did it start late? Was it raining? Yeah. No, yellow, 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 red, yellow, yellow. It uh, looked a little sloppy. Yeah, I brutal. watched the whole thing. Yeah. It was it was that way. And fortunately, I will say for IndyCar, um, the the end built some excitement. Um, and then until unfortunately, heard of. yeah, until Colton lost it yeah, in that last that corner. But uh, corner. it was it was starting to build some excitement. But I will say it was very interesting to see that. Um, why am I blanking on the winner? Erickson. Erickson. Marcus Erickson. Who basically had that, you know, he, he launched himself in the back of the uh, of, uh, Sebastian Bourdais' car, launched his car, came down from four or five feet, and he ends up winning the race. Like, I'm surprised something else wasn't broken Correct. on that car. Correct. Unbelievable. Yeah, I did see a replay of that, and, yeah, I don't know how all he had was nose cone damage. You'd no think, suspension. Suspension no would have smoked mm-hmm. by, that, by that impact, but. Spin and win, and I think they said something like the launch and win. Mm-hmm. Spin and win, 1985, Danny Sullivan. 
won it that year. For those historians, my name is Donald Davidson. <laughs> the following year was Bobby Rahal. My first Indy 500. 86. Visited. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Bobby Rahal is Lebanese. There yes. you go. And he spoke that subsequently at the American Syrian Lebanon Brotherhood Club convention. He was the, I don't know why I remember those random things, but he and Kanan have the same helmet manufacturer. They have to elongate the front a little bit, just like you and I would have to have to make sure our nose can fit in there. He had the big nose. He had that that night. He had the eighties porn stash. Absolutely. And the goofy glasses. (laughs) Yes. But a hell of a racer. That's true. Uh, Only downside is he's a Buckeye fan, but we can't all be perfect. Correct. (laughs) Anyway. All right. You hear that familiar voice on there, or that not-so-familiar voice on there? You want to make some introductions here? Yeah. So welcome, everyone, to the Industrious Podcast. This episode, we have the distinct pleasure of our guest being Jeff Hagen, Associate Equipment Solutions filtration vendor, repping brands like Paint Pockets, AFT, Columbus Industries, etc. So, uh, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Why don't you share with our, our viewers a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and where you grew up? Grew up on the west side of uh, Indy. Been a lifelong west sider, uh, 50 some odd years. <clears throat> uh, living on the west side. Yes, on the west side. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't wander far from home over there. Uh, come from a big Catholic family. There were 10 of us. Wow. Uh, nine boys and one girl. Uh, <clears throat> we where all, was she in the lineup? She was the very last. That's why they stopped at 10. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't stop at seven. Right. Because I wouldn't be oh, here. Man. So are you eight or nine? Um, I'm eight. Eight? I'm eight. Okay. And then obviously a younger brother than my youngest sister. So wow. who's louder, the nine boys combined or the one girl? The one girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was really a setup. Yeah, she, yeah. yeah she's, uh, she's an absolute sweetheart. Uh, she really is. But I can't imagine any guy in, I guess maybe not grade school, but high, let's say high school or college, wanted to date her mm-hmm. and have to deal with nine older oh, brothers. brothers. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting. Um, so yeah, I've been out on the West side all my life. Um, started in an industry probably 30 years ago, 35 years ago, um, selling for a local company, uh, selling, uh, spray equipment. Okay. They purchased a filtration company, uh, probably eight years after I was there, uh, so I kind of just slid over to the filtration division mm-hmm. uh, of the company. And um, the rest is history, so they say. I've right. stayed in filtration uh, the whole time. Uh, we primarily do paint booth filtration. Uh, we do get into HVAC filtration. Um, so that's kind of the background. I had an uncle who was in the same industry. Okay. I was going to say, I was gonna you what, what led you in to be in the beginning? It was just looking for a job and that happened to be one and we i was working at ups at the time okay and i was a uh, shift uh, line shift uh, manager and I was 21 got married uh, at age 21 and ups paid well yeah um but i wanted something full-time uh i knew several drivers there at ups that drove the brown trucks and started inquiring about how long it would take for me to become a driver because that's what i ultimately wanted to yeah. do and they said seven to eight years is what it would take, where the backup was at that point in time. And I said, I can't, 
can't wait that long. Right. So I started some inquiries. Uh, a cousin of mine worked for a company called American Industrial Corporation. Um, he said, we're hiring in the shipping and receiving department. Here's what it's offering. So I went and left and went over there um, to work, 21 years old. Uh, worked up into customer service from there, then got into outside sales where I sold into northern Indiana, uh, north of Indianapolis, uh, about to Fort Wayne and that band there. Okay. Just starting out, getting my teeth cut, so to speak. Uh, sold uh, Inkstavillas, Randsburg, electrostatic equipment, um, pumps, guns, all the stuff. And then, like I said, they started the uh, purchased a filter company um, by the name of Quick Filter, which was up on the northwest side of town um, after I was there for six years, and they needed a salesman for it. So the president came and said, we've got this position. Do you want it? I'm like, filters? What, what fun can be in filters? <laughs> uh, it was the best move I made. Yeah. Yeah. So did that, started that. Um Sold for them for the age of about 35. So and last year? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wish. <laughs> I had hair back then. A little Me bit. Too. Not much. Uh, not much less than what I have now. Um, but anyway, we, myself and another salesman that worked there left out of there and started our own company. <clears throat> and um, that was 2001. Okay. Um, then we've been going ever since yep. St started out at the bottom and had some help along the way, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dick Bagoon. Uh, some of you might know him was a old, the old owner of American industrial corporation, the, the place where I left out of, um, myself and my business partner left out of, should I say, and he was dabbling in some, um, machine parts on the east side of town and we kind of got together, um, and he helped launch what is now TriStar Filtration. So TriStar, where did the name come from? What's the meaning? At the time, there were three of us. Okay. Um, there was myself, my current business partner, and another gentleman who sold uh, just the uh, electrostatic uh, guns, systems, spray guns, that kind of thing. So there was actually two TriStars. There was a TriStar Industrial, which was basically the equipment side, and then TriStar Filtration, which was which was me and us yeah. and my current business partner. So the TriStar Industrial kind of went away uh, and we maintain the TriStar filtration end of it. Gotcha. So you mentioned previously that the, the majority of the filtration that uh, we look at today is for paint boost, but you also get into some HVAC. Correct. Um, for the layman viewer, can you give a, a very cliff notes version of the different types of filtration out there? That sure. You not only do you primarily deal with, but in general. Sure. The, the start at the bottom, so to speak, from efficiency, price point, that type of thing, it's fiberglass media. Uh, you see a lot of fiberglass media in <clears throat> wood shops, smaller shops. Uh, it's a price point purchase. You can get it relatively cheap. Um, the next step up from that uh, would probably be paper and paper poly. Uh, so it's a slit and expanded paper. Um, and then on some of the products, they'll put a polyester layer on the back to help increase efficiency of the product. Uh, step up or equal to that is probably just what we call flat polyester. Uh, it's just a polyester media anywhere from an inch thick to two inches thick. Uh, and it operates on a strainer principle. 
Um, then the next step up from that, uh, we think, is the best product out there, uh, and that's paint pocket, paint pocket product, mm-hmm. which is a polyester media, but it employs a um, slit and expanded polyester on the front of it. Uh, so you're getting efficiency, high efficiencies that you need, and you're getting anywhere from three to five times service life over any filter product that's currently out there on the market. Right. So, and we'll touch on this, but really, it comes with a little bit of higher price. Correct. But if people are using it properly, they will save money in the long run. Absolutely. Correct? Absolutely. It, it, it's a very good product. Um, it is more expensive, two, two times more expensive probably than even the uh, most expensive paper poly product that's out there. Uh, but the cost uh, effectiveness of the product uh, will, will typically, nine times out of ten, outperform any product that's out there on the market. Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of success with it. Uh, in the, I think we picked up the product line in 2005, okay. and it, it's been a huge success for us. <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's the old adage of price versus cost. Correct. If you get lost looking just at the price on the front end and you never sit down after some time, let's say a year's worth of spend, and compare to what you have actually spent if you have been focused on the cost, you realize, oh boy, price was less, but mm-hmm. I actually spent more. Yep, absolutely. And it's it's not just the price of the product. It's the price of disposal. Because if you're disposing of two to three times less product, you're putting less, that much less product into landfills, into wherever, you know, you have to send your product to. So environmentally, that way it's better than when you talk shipping, you know, to get the product into you. If I need three times less product, I'm getting three times less the shipment. Right. So there's a lot of hidden cost savings that are in there that a purchasing agent may not, they're going to look at, well, this is a dollar, this is 75 cents, I'm going with the 75 cent one. Mm-hmm. But that 75 cent filter will cost you two and a quarter compared to that $1 that you've spent on the, on the paint pocket product. Right. Um, it works in almost every application from air dry to uh, baking enamels, uh, acrylics, any, any paint product that's being used out there, most of the stuff we're seeing, as I'm sure you guys are, is water-based material. Um, the real dry overspray, uh, it works great on that. Um, I won't say that we haven't gone into a place and not converted that account to paint pockets, but there's been very few that we haven't. Yeah. Um, typically, typically where we lose or where we don't gain the account is if it's a, uh, a spray booth issue where it's not, the volume of air is not, something's not right in the, in the paint spray booth. Uh, sometimes it's just an odd coating that a fiberglass filter or a, a paper filter works better on. Uh, we still sell a lot of fiberglass. We still sell a lot of paper. Um, but the bulk of, of what we sell um, that we've had the most success with is the paint pocket filter. Yeah. I know since launching Associated Equipment Solutions in October, um, two main areas have really stood out from a sales perspective. One is the abrasive side, but one is the, certainly the filtration side. And of the filtrate filtration products, uh, the paint pockets has been a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about that product to customers and you've been on multiple visits with our reps, um, it, it's not been too hard of a sell for mm-hmm. most. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's not, it's not fiberglass and fiberglass has its inherent, uh, issues as far as handling. If anybody's ever handled, um, uh, 
uh, insulation in an attic. You get the fibers in your fingers. Whenever we move the product out there, we're always gloved up and and ev- to protect ourselves as best we can against it. Um, and it's a it's an easier product to operate. Doesn't shut off airflow as quick as what a fiberglass filter does. Fiberglass media tends to f- what we call face load, where the face of the filter is loaded with the paint. Okay. Prematurely cuts off airflow. Uh, there's no there's not a lot of depth loading qualities to the lower to middle end fiberglass products. Uh, plus, the thing that's making paint pockets even more uh, advantageous now is in the last seven, eight months, I've had three increases on fiberglass paint media. Right. And it, there's no, they're, they're saying it's not going to stop. It's going to just keep going up to where, uh, I won't say they're going to price themselves out of the game, but th- it makes our product products more attractive um, yeah. than the fiberglass the media. For you. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so taking a quick step back for the listeners out there who have nothing to do with our industry, uh, something you can picture is everyone, well, hopefully everyone has changed their furnace filter before. <laughs> and, uh, just like was mentioned that, uh, TriStar supplies the HVAC industry in the industrial coatings world, uh, for those who are spraying powder coatings or liquid coatings, uh, in particular, it's filtration. You know, when you put a furnace filter in, you're filtering the incoming air and, and filtering out the dirt and impurities before that air gets treated, either cooled or heated and blown into your, you know, around your house because you don't want dirt and soot and anything else just freely floating around your house. In this case, it's while it does work that way for shops who have air makeup systems and they're filtering filtering the inbound air. What we're talking about is filtering the outbound air. Correct. So being in this spray booth when the when the applicator sprays the coating onto their part, any l- atomized liquid droplets that are sprayed past the part, which is called overspray, is being sucked by air, like an outbound fan pulling air out through a filter. And there are as a there are a handful of reasons why, but I'll let you kind of address the main reason why it's required that they filter that outbound air and it's because of you can't, yeah, you can't send the overspray out into the atmosphere. Yeah, it's an environmental correct, issue. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. It's a big environmental issue. Um, so what uh, the OSHA and EPA has stated is you must have some sort of filter in there that meets a minimum efficiency uh, standard um, in order to operate a paint spray booth. Um, and in addition to that, you must maintain a certain level of airflow inside that booth over the operator's back uh, whether it's a, a man person in there, uh, a man or woman in there spraying, you must maintain 100 feet a minute of constant air velocity over their back so that the overspray is not coming back to them. It's getting exhausted through the filters. So the minimum efficiency rating uh, is 99.8%. Uh, there's not a filter on the market that does not meet that standard. Um, there are some that do it better than others, a lot better than others. Um, that's why we see the lower end product still in use because it does meet that standard and it's a less expensive filter. Uh, Unless it's clogged and they haven't changed it. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Which that never, never happens. happens. No, no, <laughs> never. Nor do they ever sweep them, vacuum them or take them outside and shake them out. Right. So to, to that point, yeah. What, what, what do you typically see in the field? If you go into a place that's not buying from you and maybe they're using one of the well, I guess it could be a higher end too if they're not mm-hmm. changing the same type of issue. But what what do you see oftentimes is like, oh wow, red flag for sure. Gaps, um, gaps in the filters, uh, especially if there's blanket filter media. 
Um, so gaps where there's space where there's free flowing air not going through correct. filters. Unfiltered. Yeah. Or, Un or squares where they've got like, you know, it, uh, it's like a, uh, what's that? Uh, like, uh, connect for oh yeah, yeah. like holes yeah <laughs> yeah I had ran out of filters or this one fell out and I just left it open correct correct so there's two basic types of ways to put the media in the booth either in a square pad form like we talked about and the most popular sizes of those are 20 by 20 or mm -hmm. 20 by 25 or in higher production operations you'll see uh, what we call blanket media it's the same media it's just in a blanket form. Uh, and that width can be anywhere from, you know, 30 inches to 60 inches yeah. and then whatever length on the blanket. Um, yeah. Dear so listeners, picture a big like duvet or comforter rolled up that you then unfurl and stick on the wall and don't let air come through. Correct. Or let air come through, but don't let the dirt come with it. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, what you'll see on that is an operator will, uh, he's not getting enough airflow, so he'll go and part the part the filters and now that now that paint's just going through unfiltered and a vast majority of that paint is going through unfiltered so it's clogging your fan blades it's coating your uh, stack mm -hmm. it's coating your roofs and a lot of times we see coating employees cars out of the parking lot <laughs> yeah yeah and ownership uh does not like that because then they're paying 350 400 depending on where you're at to have cars buffed out yep. so the exhaust Filtration is extremely important to a manufacturer's operation and how they treat that exhaust filtration, um, what they use to make sure that the employees are properly trained, uh, that EH and S is on board as to how all that is done, when it needs to be done. Uh, if you do it too soon, you've wasted money. If you do it too late, you're creating other issues. Uh, as far as the environment in that paint spray yeah. booth. I would think that if they're using a solvent-based product, they could potentially create a fire hazard too, couldn't they? That could be. We don't see that as much nearly as what we used to. Okay. Um, we have seen them uh, where the fan blade will create a spark, and now you've got an inferno going out the, the right. stack. We haven't seen that in a while. A lot of the solvents, and the you guys can speak of this better than I can, The what was the solvent that was used in um, – wood coatings manufacturing cellulose. Uh, yeah yeah do you guys see that much anymore there it are still exists, still used the big one that i think you might be telling us boiled linseed oil which is extremely flammable, flammable and yeah. we don't see a lot of that anymore yeah spontaneous yeah. combustion is a big issue when the yeah. when they take the filters out pile them up right that was linseed oil would have been in like the stain products you see them a lot of deck stains still okay. like on the consumer level mm -hmm. and you'll hear about house fires or someone will be staining their deck kind of a diy project they'll leave the rags and then suddenly the rags just spontaneously combust and if there's anything near it yep. for it to spread but yeah dump people throw their filters in the dumpster you know, next thing you know, it's 3 a.m. and the fire department's on site putting out a correct. dumpster fire. Yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah. So then they're coming to the filter manufacturer. Hey, your your filters created this fire. No, fil filters don't burn on their own. It's it's <laughs> yeah. the it's the the it's paint a new smart that filter. It's holding. Yes, correct, <laughs> correct. Self extinguishing. It's like smart paint. They said, well, it was working yesterday. Now it's not working today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The paint clearly decided mm -hmm. on its own mm -hmm. not to work. It today. wasn't going to show up. Yeah. It's always the paint's fault. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Where would you say are the greatest areas of improvement for a facility that, that needs filtration, maybe already currently utilizing filtration, but where, where are the greatest areas where they can gain efficiency, um, not necessarily by product, but, but maybe just by practice? Just 
take a look at the at the overall operation of it. Make sure that you are maintaining proper airflow in that booth, no matter what filter you're using. Um, make sure that it's a safe environment for the operator. Um, that you are maintaining that 100 feet a minute across that operator's back per OSHA standard. Um, and then look to see how you can maximize um, the filters. Uh, okay, is there a better filter out there that I could be using? Um, most, if not all, manufacturers or and or distributors will be more than happy to provide uh, products for test, for trial, to prove a product. Um, and then they, they will a lot of times assist in how that test is conducted, what to look for, what determines, okay, did this filter outperform my previous filter? And there's some pretty easy um, indicators uh, outside of visual. People think, <clears throat> excuse me, they look at a filter and, oh, that's dirty. We need to change it. I've been doing this for 30 years. I can look at a filter and tell you it's dirty, but I can't tell you that it's time for it to change. <clears throat> you know, you got to do, you got, that's why they use the magnahelic gauges. Uh, or manometers on the side of the booth that are an indicator of pressure drop across the filter. So that in tandem with um, airflow readings, uh, typically a nine-point airflow reading in a paint spray booth, to make sure that you're maintaining that 100 feet, minimum 100 feet a minute. Okay. Most booths clean up with clean uh, filters in it, fire the booth up. Most booths are probably around 125, 130 feet a minute to start out. Some you might find are even higher than that. Um, and then as the filter loads, that air volume starts dropping. Mm -hmm. So when that air volume starts dropping, gets to 110 feet per minute average, that's where you would mark a manometer that's on the side of the booth okay. or a magna helix that's on the side of the booth. And that's, that's how you determine that filter's done. Yeah. It's time to come out. Because we're below the 100 feet per minute threshold. Essentially, your filter has become a, uh, a wall. Correct. Not Correct. It's, it's, not, it's not going to extract anymore. So a, a, a face-loading filter uh, is going to get there a heck of a lot quicker than a depth-loading filter. That's something that, that, that can allow the paint to penetrate the filter, not escape the filter, mm -hmm. but still maintain airflow throughout its, throughout its life. Right. If you go into 10 places, 10 prospects, let's say, that are not currently purchasing product from you, what percentage of those 10 more than likely have not the best um, housekeeping, shall we say, of their filtration? 100%. Uh, a lot of them. 99%. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, be fair, 98%. A lot, yes, a lot of them. Um, and it's a lot of it, they'll go back to, well, we just don't have the manpower. We don't have the manpower to maintain the booth. Um, you know, a lot of operations, it is get the paint on the part. We it doesn't have to be automotive finish, and that's and that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good. Uh, but a lot of places shoot them shoot themselves in the foot by not just doing simple maintenance procedures in the booth on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to help reduce the rejects, uh, the reject rates of of what they're painting. Uh, it's just simple maintenance, uh, maintaining the filters, maintaining the booth, having a clean, as clean an environment as you can get. Uh, we've all been in some places that you, you're like, I'm not going to be here much longer because <laughs> this place is going to go, <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't take much to, to have a, uh, accident, uh, in the place. And you just kind of shake your head at those places. You, you, you try to guide them to the right place, 
but ultimately it's obviously up to the owner as to how he's going to maintain his facility. So, sure. yeah. Well, I know um, since October, as I mentioned earlier, we've had some pretty good success with the paint pot- paint pockets product. Um, we look forward to continuing that success and, and growing that partnership. Um, any questions that you have for us at all? No, just um, I'm getting phone calls from you guys, which is good. Uh, there's an inquiry out there. It's uh, a lot of people, a lot of salesmen, with, whether they be paint salespeople, paint equipment salespeople, they look at filters as a, you know, as a commodity type item. Right. And in a lot of cases, it is true. They're commodities. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, we'll get calls from new customers. Hey, how much, how much for this 20 by 20 fiberglass filter? Well, how much you paying now? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to give you that information. Well, I get that, but I'm, you know, you're looking at a price point. I'm looking at how much, you know, how much I can make on this product, so to speak. So let's not play the game. You, you let's let's get to the brass tacks of it. So a lot of people out there don't see the value in a good filter product. <clears throat> Um, and that's kind of what we talked about at the start, the value of the product versus the cost of the product. Uh, they just see a number out there. So when we were started, when we were at the uh, old company, uh, when we bought that filter company, it was kind of like, eh, it's filters, eh, it's filters. Until, you know, these guys would go in and sell a $7,000 spray gun and get a commission on that one time. I'd go in back behind them, sell them $15,000 a year worth of paint booth filters, and i get that for however long we maintain that business. Sure. So there's, there's, uh, there's two ways of selling the product. You can sell it as a commodity and that's fine. Uh, or you can sell an engineered product, um, that, that gives value to that end user and helps him reduce his operating costs for the paint spray booth. Yeah. Well, I think the, the bulk of the products that the Assessa family of companies sell, in, in many eyes are considered commodities, but I would say that the bulk of the products that we carry are tend to be the, the you know, good or higher end of those categories. Uh, and most of which have kind of that, as you mentioned, engineered mm-hmm. mentality. So that's why I think the paint pockets is a perfect fit because sure, you might think of the air filters as, as a commodity if you want to look at it that way, but there's, there is a, a true value add with that product. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it makes uh, better sense or it certainly made better sense for us to certainly carry that versus just, you know, uh, the, the same old fiberglass. fiberglass filter that you can get yep. anywhere. Anywhere. Yep. Literally at a hardware store, Yeah, which is fine. I mean, it's got its niche out there. Sure. Um, but you know, there, there are, I, I firmly believe there's, there's better products out there. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate your technical expertise behind it and assisting us with that. And uh, we look forward to continuing that partnership. And so do we, so do we, it's, it's, uh, it's going, it's trending in the right direction. We're doing some good things at some of your satellite branches um, over in Illinois and, and uh, looking forward to continuing to grow that. Yep. Agreed. Maybe we'll let you come East into Ohio. I mean, you know, you said you like to stay West, but (laughs) I would love to, (laughs) (laughs) we need to go out to Denver sometime, don't we? Denver, Chicago, Michigan, Ohio. I mean, all over. We'll, we'll line it up. All over, absolutely. Yeah. Look forward to it. Road trip. Yeah, Arizona in January. Absolutely. Well, we don't really do business in, that much business in Arizona, but we can go there in January. Just play golf. We go out there, play some <laughs> golf, call a few customers, yeah. have a good old time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just no seven-hour long scrambles. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Jeffrey, thank you for coming on the thank Industrious you, Podcast. Appreciate it. We appreciate you, and thanks again for your partnership, and uh, looking forward to the future. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you.